Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. I got a six-year-old in my calculus class in college and it's going to take my job. What is this nonsense? Comic Sans? Butler had never seen this film and I got the indication that he hated it. She's like, you pussy, get back in the game. He rebels against maturity by taking a job at a movie theater. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's me. At a video store. Well, this is now owned by Disney, so you're going to see a remake at some point. Hello, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of 175 episodes for your listening pleasure. And hello. Hello. What's going on? Uh, I just got back off a ship into London. Okay. I'm going to pick up my trade as a barber in hopes to get the judge that ruined my life in my chair and then slit his throat. And then, Excellent. You know, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe have a meat pie afterward. <laughs> a Mrs. Lovett's meat pie? A Mrs. Lovett's meat pie. Will you be singing? Genuine. Will you be singing throughout this venture of yours? All day air day especially to my silver blades <laughs> that's right this week we are doing the movie musical Sweeney Todd the demon barber of Fleet Street and that has a oh wait a minute Butler oh what's that about what's that about glad you asked evil judge Turpin lusts for the beautiful wife of a London barber and transports him to Australia for a crime he did not commit Returning after 15 years and calling himself Sweeney Todd, the now madman vows revenge, applying his razor to unlucky customers and shuttling the bodies down to Mrs. Lovett, who uses them in her meat pie shop. Though many fall to his blade, he will not be satisfied until he slits Turpin's throat. Nice. Nice. That's pretty much what happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, this movie has a, is 116 minutes long. It's rated R. Production budget of $50 million. Came out on December 21st, 2007. Holiday movie, Butler. Oh, yeah. Christmas film. Uh, it's opening weekend. It did $9.3 million. Domestic total did $52.9 million. International was 100.4 to give it a worldwide total of 153.3 million dollars. So it did well, better internationally than domestically, which is not surprising. Mm. Uh, production, you said hmm, you don't agree with that? No, I agree. Probably <laughs> okay. Johnny Depp star power. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. Yes. Production company was <laughs> DreamWorks Pictures, Parks and McDonald Productions, and the Zana Company. Distributed by Paramount Pictures in North America and Warner Brothers internationally. So I said it came out on the 21st of December. It went up against these holiday films and wide releases. The uh, National Treasure Book of Secrets, the sequel. Uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which I didn't realize was a holiday film. Charlie Wilson's War, which I love. And P.S. I Love You. So kind of a strong weekend it went up against. Uh, the week after was actually not technically the week after Christmas Day is is its next the next big release date. And you had in a wide release, The Water Horse, Aliens versus Predator Requiem. Again, I did not realize that was a Christmas film. Nope. Uh, the Great Debaters, Juno, and then the limited release of The Bucket List and Persepolis, excuse me. And then you had a limited release, the, the 26th, uh, The Next Day. Of There Will Be Blood. So I guess, I don't know why it didn't come out Christmas. I'm wondering if there was a midnight of that, probably, on Christmas Day. Probably. Because you had midnights on Christmas back Not then. Not sure. I mean, I probably worked it, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the week before, the 14th of December, you had in a wide release, I Am Legend and Alvin and the Chipmunks. And then a limited release of The Kite Runner and Youth Without Youth. That is the uh, Francis Ford Coppola film. I believe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. This film was directed by Tim Burton, who was nominated for two Oscars, uh, Frank and Weenie and Corpse Bride. Both those were nominated for animated features. 
Uh, and he produced those, of course. Uh, he's also done Edward Scissorhands, Big Fish, and Beetlejuice, just to name a few. Written by John Logan, who was nominated for three Oscars, Gladiator, The Aviator, and Hugo. He's also a director and writer of the recent horror film They Them on uh, Peacock. Uh, cinematography was Darius Wolski, who was nominated for an Oscar for News of the World. He's also done The Martian and Crimson Tide. The musical and musical adaptation, these are credits within the movie. The, so the musical part is Hugh Wheeler, who's done Nijinsky and Something for Everyone. And the musical adaptation was Christopher Bond. Um, they are obviously related to the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The production, the original production, the Broadway production. Right. Uh, so there were anyways, edited by Chris Levinson. I was nominated for an Oscar for Crimson Tide and Top Gun. He also has done Alice in Wonderland and then produced by John Logan, Laurie McDonald, Walter F. Parks and Richard D. Zanuck. Logan has uh, produced the TV show Penny Dreadful. I believe he created that as well. Uh, he's, done, he's produced Bats and Genius. McDonald has produced the MIB series, Men in Black series and the Ring series, to name a few. Parks has uh, done Awakenings, War Games. He actually was nominated for Awakenings, nominated for a doc for the California Reich, and was nominated for War Games, but he wrote War Games, for those who don't know. So he was nominated for that as well. And Zanuck uh, was uh, nominated for Jaws and The Verdict for Best Picture Nods. He produced those. And he won an Oscar for the Best Picture, Driving Miss Daisy. So this movie has Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd, who was nominated for two Oscars, one for Finding Neverland and the other for Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. Caribbean. Uh, and he's also on the TV show 21 Jump Street. Yes, that was a TV show before it was a movie franchise. What? <laughs> Helen Bonham Carter plays Mrs. Lovett. Nominated for two Oscars, one for The Wings of the Dove and the other for The King's Speech. He's also in Fight Club, which I like quite a bit. Alan Rickman judge, plays Judge Turpin uh, from Die Hard, the Harry Potter series. He plays uh, Severus Snape for those out there who are Harry Potter fans. He's also in yeah, Bottle Shock. A lot and of Harry Potter people. Yes. Oh, you're you know, yeah, Helena well, Bottle Carter, which she's Bellatrix. Yes. Well, there's, yeah, if you're English, you're probably in the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> 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 and and uh, he also did Galaxy Quest, obviously. Uh, Rickman passed away in 2016, gone too soon. So uh, that always makes me a little sad. Timothy Spall as Beetle, who plays Turpin's, uh, not henchman, but like his creepy. His right hand man. Yeah, his creepy, like, chief of staff kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, he knows where the bodies yes, are buried. Man. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. So good, sir. You're so good, sir. <laughs> he obviously plays, um, who is he in Harry Potter? He is Wormtail, right? He's Wormtail, yep. yep. Pe Peter Pettigrew. Yep. He's also in Vanilla Sky and Secrets and Lies. And then Sasha Baron Cohen as Pirelli, who was nominated for writing in for Oscar for Borat, the, the two Borat films. There's two Borat films, right? Two Borat films, yep. Two, yep, yep. He also was nominated for an acting Oscar for The Trial of Chicago 7, The Chicago 7, and he's also in Talladega Nights. Uh, not a, not a, not nominated for an Oscar for that, although that's still <laughs> funny. That's the funny film. Uh, Jamie Campbell Bauer is Anthony. Uh, he's in the Twilight Saga, Rock and Roller, but you might know him as Vecna in Stranger Things, for those that's who right. don't know, which and I didn't. Was, Go ahead. I forgot. He's young Grindelwald. Yes, yes. He's acting with Johnny Depp. So, uh, yeah, but I think more people are probably more attuned to the Stranger oh, Things. Now they know him as Vecna, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I so, just finally uh, got to that. I mean, we're, this is coming out in December. We're recording this in October, but I finally got at least to watch the episode where he turns into Vecna. Oh, nice. And I was like, oh, nice. finally. <laughs> <laughs> so you are two episodes away from the end? Yeah, Three? the next episode's two and a half hours, so I'm never going to, two hours, 38 minutes, I'm never going to finish it now. You're not a fan, because real fans were like, let's go. That's what real fans were like, brother. Real you fans. You don't understand, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jane Weisner as Joanna, or Johanna. Uh, she's in Jane Eyre and the Harris. Joanna. Just like that, too. <laughs> and Sanders as Toby, or Tobias and from the play, he's a uh, He's in Hugo and Killer Be Killed. He's the little kid in the movie. And then Laura Michelle Kelly as Lucy slash Beggar Woman. She's, uh, which was like, we'll get to it. But anyways, uh, she's in the movie <laughs> Goddess. And then you saw uh, Giles in this as Man on Street. And we'll get to why he's in this film. Anthony Head, uh, because yeah, he gets cut Anthony out. Anthony Head, yeah. Poor Christopher Lee. You don't even yeah, see him. That's even worse. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, who put this on the list? Me? You? I, I, I must have, yeah. I didn't even think you had seen this movie. 
Oh yeah, I saw it. Why wouldn't I've seen this? Right. What are you trying to say? I had thought you had said you never saw it at one point. No, no, I saw it. I will say this. Um, when I was watching it now, because uh, I can't, I, I can't remember what my initial reactions were when I first watched this film. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably were just kind. Of, I think I was just kind of like, yeah, it's okay, it was good, good. But like, I do watching it now. I, I, I think I, I did like it a lot more second watch and maybe because I don't know, I was paying attention. Maybe I wasn't paying attention when I was out back then, you know, cause you know what happens when you watch, when you're just keep watching films and fun films, you just kind of like zone out sometimes. Right. So I'm glad I got to, I'm glad I revisited it because I did, there was a lot of it that I really liked. Um, and I think for just kind of thinking back, I think I, the second watch was a bit more favorable than my first watch. I just don't think I really, it really registered watching it the first time, just the stuff in it in the movie that I registered with me now. What, what about you? Uh, I love this movie. I think it's really well done. I, the first time I had watched it, I was really interested in the film just based on the look of stills and stuff and some previews about what the movie was. But I had not read uh, for some reason that it was a, a musical. So I didn't realize it was a musical until about two days before I watched it. And so I was like really pumped to watch this like violent Johnny Depp, Tim Burton movie. And then I finally watched the trailer that showed because I think the teaser trailer doesn't show you it's a musical. And I finally watched like the final trailer or commercial that showed or clips of like a, a, one of the songs. And it was the uh, I want you bleeders uh, moment. And I was like, oh, this shit's going to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched it. I loved it. I thought the musical stylings were really interesting. The look of the film was really cool. And the more I watch it, the more I notice like little things, the more I like pick up on little acting moments. And the more I like certain songs that maybe didn't resonate with me before, like I just appreciate them a little bit more. Uh, so I, I really like this film. I've probably seen it. I mean, I own it, but I've probably only seen it. This is probably my fourth time watching the all the way through. So you didn't know it was a play, a Broadway musical? I had known it was a play, but I didn't know it was a musical play. Okay. So you didn't know that Angela Lansbury was in the original production? No, not until yeah. not until afterward. And then I looked up a bunch okay. of stuff about Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so for those who don't know, the, uh, it was uh, the original Broadway production starred Angela Lansbury and Len Carew. And it opened at the Eurus Theater on February 6th, 1979. Ran for 557 performances and won the 1979 Tony Awards for Best Musical, Book, and Score. Um, so obviously it's a Stephen Sondheim play, um, our musical. And uh, it, um, you know, it's obviously got a big track record. I know that it's very difficult to sometimes bring musicals from the stage to movies because inevitably you can't just do the whole thing. It's, they're two different animals. Yeah. You have to cut songs. You have to cut moments and characters, which they do here. Uh, they cut a lot. They did uh, cut I, a lot, which includes which I, the beginning and end. Yes. They cut the opening. I think the, the note I had was that um, they cut what was the, is the first, is the first song called the ballad of Sweeney Todd? Cause they kind of yeah. like, and I think that Tim Burton was like, you know, the, it opens up with this you know, song about what happened to Sweeney Todd, but it's like, we could just show you <laughs> in the movie instead of just doing this, which is, which I get, I get that kind of. Yeah, it spoils the end too, because at least in the versions I've seen in the play, like the, I've only watched one play version and they basically, they find his body at the beginning. So you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't make it, mm-hmm. which kind of, I think movie wise would kind of spoil it for you. Although that's right. where Anthony Head and uh, Christopher Lee come in. So talk about that. So there's basically supposed to be like the ghost or the spirits of his, some of his victims. And they're basically playing the uh, the fates or the uh, what's the name of them in in plays in Greek plays, the chorus, the chorus. Yeah, they're the chorus, and they sing the repri- they sing the ballad of Sweeney Todd. And they sing the uh, reprise. They basically bookend the film, mm-hmm. and because the reprise was taken out, it didn't make sense to have or the, the beginning was taken out, didn't make sense to have the reprise at the end in there as well. So mm-hmm. the entire ballad of Sweeney Todd, which is the dun, 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 dun which you, you get at the beginning. sometimes. Yeah, yeah, they play the song, they just don't play the lyrics to it. Because mm-hmm. uh, in that, the entire city's basically chanting like, raise your razors high, uh, Sweeney. Um, so because they didn't do the beginning, because it shows off too much, they didn't do the end. 
mm-hmm. they cut that whole kind of section out, as well as a few other musical beats. But that's why Christopher Lee, the legend of Chris, legendary Christopher Lee, would have been awesome to see him in a Tim Burton movie, was cut out. Mm-hmm. And then Anthony Head just, I don't even know what his line is. He's not even a spirit. He's just some he dude in town. He asks him, he... He asks him where his shop is or something because it's after. Oh, it's after Pirelli. It's after he wins the Pirelli the okay, match with yeah. Pirelli. Yeah, um, yeah. They also cut out Amis, uh, Judge Turpin's version of Joanna because there's there's two different versions. There's two different versions of the Joanna song. There's one sung by Sweeney Todd and one sung by uh, the 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 I can't remember the character's name. The Sailor. guy who wants yeah, the guy who wants her, uh, Anthony. Yep, Vecna. Anthony. I'm just gonna call him Vecna. Uh, <laughs> and uh so they cut that out they could uh, kiss me parlor song city on fire and obviously you talked about they cut the epilogue out the uh mm-hmm. the bookend uh they took they took away all the choral singing the ensemble singing god that's good which they didn't they didn't really play which i know that's very i've, I've heard that before right yeah you know uh you know on more than one occasion so i was kind of like ah <laughs> i was kind of <laughs> bummed at that because in this second watch for me I didn't remember what was in, what was out. I knew okay. of the songs. I knew of the music, but I didn't know what made it, what didn't. So I kind of was bummed that God, that's good. Wasn't in it. So I was like, yeah, right. Fine. So you had never seen the, the Broadway version, the play version before at all. On, like even before your second watch. No, 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 no. Uh, not live. I mean, I saw this, I saw the version in, uh, <laughs> in, uh, what's the name of the movie with the Kevin Smith film when Ben uh, Affleck performs it with his daughter. Amy. Not chasing Amy, the one where uh, J Lo dies, when his wife dies and she has the kid. Uh, My goodness, Jersey Girl. Jersey, yep. I, okay. I saw, I saw it the way they because they perform it in Jersey Girl. I've also yep. seen it performed in the show The Office. <laughs> Andy is, is in the play. It's like ridiculous. So you know, but that's not my only. That's not my only experience of the of the play outside of here. So, so <laughs> I will say that. Uh, but yeah, so, but to its credit. You know, the the movie works well. Oh yeah. So I think those those decisions were were you know were right. We're right, and and even I know there's a note that I have that Stephen Stephen Sondheim says that this is one of his the ones that he likes the most. The movie musicals of his adaptations. Yeah, he's particularly particular about what he lets people do. Oh geez, I like, would be too. Yeah, West Side Story and this are basically the two things he's really let people kind of run with. Yeah, I would too. I mean, come on. You can't really, it's tough. It's tough seeing your stuff being done. And then if it's done bad, you're just like, mm. no, especially when it's a movie version, you know, things are going to be cut and things aren't going to be exactly the way they were embellished mm-hmm. on. But yep. I, I think Tim Burton was probably the perfect choice to tell this kind of story, which Soundheim pretty much agreed. Yes. <laughs> and I do love the note where he that Burton was going to initially shoot this with minimal sets and on green screen. And then he changed his mind. To, he decided against it. He was like, no, you know, I think physical sets will help the he, he says physical sets will help the actors get into a musical frame of mind. Just having people singing in front of a green screen seemed more disconnected. Thank yeah. God. I mean, I know they shot in Pinewood Studios, so I know it was kind of like similar to where they shot Sleepy Hollow, where they're in this giant studio and they've got the they may, they've got the uh, fake sky in the in the background because because yeah. you can tell they're when they're at the beach and she's ha- she's singing the song about how they're gonna grow old together and all that stuff. Uh, Mrs. Lovett down um, by the sea. Yeah, you know that they're uh, in a studio, but I don't care. I oh, think yeah. it looks great, and I'm glad that he didn't use green screen. I, I think it would have just kind of took me out of the film. All right, you can't do that kind of that griminess, the the tactileness of it. Um, it's just. It's that's classic Tim Burton is to see these dilapidated kind of gross things. And also the fact that it's like mid 1800s London, which is grimy and gross. And you can't get that with CG. Even, I mean, this was 15 years ago, 20 years ago now. Um, you, you still can't even get that today. Mm-hmm. You know, CG just for the most part, can't give you that kind of visceral feel. The other decision that he made that I liked was that it's bloody. very 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 bloody i thought that um he the note the the note i have here was a quote of his he insisted that the film be bloody and as he felt stage versions of the play 
cut back on the bloodshed and robbed it of its power. For him, quote, everything is so eternal with Sweeney that the blood is like his emotional release. It's more about catharsis than it is a literal thing. So I was glad that it was bloody because it should be. Agreed, yeah. <laughs> and the other note that I have, which I th- which was like, I thought was awesome, was that the fake blood, so the movie, the fake blood was actually colored orange. To, so it would render red correctly on the desaturated color film they were using. Oh, okay. So that's why when you see it, it looks kind of like fake bloody red, which I'm okay with. Mm-hmm. But that's because it's actually really orange. And because they were shooting a desaturated film on purpose, um, you know, that the they had to... That, right, right. And I thought... And my other note, which I think that's a great note. I love that. I love hearing that. But my other note was that off of that, I was watching this film for a movie that has no color. Like it's just grays and blacks and whites and just very various shades of gray mm-hmm. movie that has n- very little color with the exception of like the scenes when they're inside with Johanna or Joanna and stuff like that. When you see her in um, the, her house with the judge's yeah. house, it looks beautiful. Like it's just, it looks like it looks great. Yeah. Like I, just, I couldn't get over how well it looked. And I don't know how you thought about that, but I just, for something that like, like, cause usually when we're talking about cinematographer, we're always talking about the, the colors of the film and what they're trying to do, but there is nothing in this film that's extremely colorful, but it still looks fantastic. Cause it's almost like it's trying to be a black and white film, but it's not, it's just trying to be a, a film where there's a, it's just devoid of color. It's a right. world of, of sadness. And I, I think it really works really well because there are hints of like, the meat pies have a little bit of brown coming out and you do get like hints of like a dark red um, in certain people's clothes. And it's like, okay, so it's not black and white. It's not trying to be sin city. It's not trying to be fake black and white and pop a color. The colors are all in there. It's just all devoid. And I think that makes it, you appreciate the makeup work, the costuming, the cinematography, the editing, like it all just kind of has to come together to create this really cool world of, of grays like you said just grays and blacks and whites and just not in a black and white kind of way but really playing with those colors in a way that most films don't Mm -hmm. this movie was nominated for three academy awards uh best costume design like we just talked about and best art direction and best art direction actually they won uh, the academy award (laughs) um johnny depp was nominated for best actor what's funny about that butler is that now that makes three of the five movies represented in the 2008 Oscars are movies that we've covered on the show. (laughs) So he was nominated George Clooney for Michael Clayton and Viggo Mortensen in Eastern promises. So we're basically covering the gamut of the, of the best actor category in the 80th Academy Awards. All right. We got to go for the rest of them. (laughs) Uh, uh, There will be blood. (laughs) Forgotten. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, you mentioned the art direction and the costume design. Johnny Depp's really good at Sweeney Todd. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the best parts of the film is like, he really is. And this was like in the midst of, you know, pirates. In fact, he was learning some of his Sweeney Todd music while shooting pirates. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's interesting to see him switch gears and play this terrible role and, you know, still putting on a British accent. But he also didn't know if he could sing at that point. Like Tim Burton mm-hmm. wanted him to be in the film. And if you listen to interviews with him, he goes like, hey, would you like to do this film? It's a musical. He goes, well, I, I don't know if I can sing, but I'll try. Well, he can sing. It's like he rock just and had, roll. Yeah. Right. Like I don't, I, one of my notes is, do you think people remember that he was in a band? Like he, the early days in LA, like that he was, you know. That's how he first kind of got on the scene. Came. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was, I don't he think was, so. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think his singing style, like you said, is raw is more rock. Yeah. Um, but I think that like, I, I read a lot of notes that talked about how, Oh, they were surprisingly, you know, it, it pleasantly surprised at his vocals or some people call his vocals little flat, but still worked. I actually, I actually like, the rock angle a little bit with the, with Sweeney Todd. I actually dug it like, you know, uh, his, his, uh, his performance. Yeah, no, I think he, of all the Sweeney Todd's I've heard, um, and I've heard about three different 
Sweeney Todd versions all the way through. I think his is definitely the, the one that works the best because it's not trying to be super Broadway. It's still pretty Broadway. It's very musical, um, but he's got that hint of gravel, that hint of rock. And I think that really works for a mad, an unleashed hinged madman like Sweeney Todd, mm-hmm. as opposed to just like this super trained operatic, you know, Broadway voice. Mm-hmm. That's not what Sweeney Todd is. That's not who he is. Yeah. It's a movie where you, when you, the movie itself, not the, the production, the play, but the movie, it's not a, it's, I just said it was beautiful, but it's a dirty film. You know, it's, it's not, it's, yeah, it's, it's not beautifully right. grimy. Right. Right. So he shouldn't be, his voice shouldn't be beautiful. It should be beautifully grimy. Like a perfect, yeah. you know, like it should be like that. I, I found that, that that was, you know, like I, and I, and, it, and it's a good contrast between when he's singing the Joanna song and Anthony's singing the Joanna song and what's, and you know, Anthony's singing it like, you know, he's, he's going to come for you. He's in love with you. You know, he's going to do anything for you. And he's singing it and he's killing people as he's singing it. So it yeah. shouldn't be, you know what I mean? So I think that works even he's better. Sad and resigned. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. one of the things I've watched this a few times now. And even like, I listen to the soundtrack all the time. I always skip Joanna and, and the, um, the duet version because I didn't really like it the first couple of times, but listening to it this time, that really stuck with me. And I was like, this song's actually kind of cool the way they do it and the way they play with story and, and emotion with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I really like that this time around is, is the difference in the, the cadence and what they're singing about, even though they're saying the exact same lines. Right. Which is also similar with pretty women, but I've always liked that. The use of this song about pretty women and it's this really nice little song with like, even with a bop, 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 it's just like two guys like just riffing, but really there's a lot of dark undertone to it. And like, as you're watching it, it's just like that makes it more disturbing as you're watching them sing the song as he's getting ready to murder this man. Well, also like we just barely scratched the surface of like how depraved judge Turpin has Turpin has and stuff. Sending the little boy to die the hang. I can see you'll <laughs> never change your ways. But he's like, he's having these like eyes wide shut parties times 10 where he's just masquerade rape parties, openly raping this woman in front of everybody. I'm like, Oh God. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and like every time they cut to a close up of Beetle, like Timothy Spall's character, I'm just like, please push back a little bit. I don't, I don't. <laughs> I just can't believe that uh, Anthony lets him beat the crap out of him. Like, get up and kick this guy's ass. Come on. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like when they made him the tough guy kicking him out, I'm like, I don't believe that for a second. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I said, I wish I knew the play more because I felt like Turpin stuff. We we, we didn't get a lot of Turpin. Uh, be- we didn't get that he- much Turpin. No. And I know that they made a lot of cuts where there was more to the Joanna and Anthony stuff, but they kind of turned it. They they made a lot of cuts to just kind of like focus on the triangle between Turpin, Sweeney Todd and uh, Joanna. Like they kind of like focused on that a little bit more, which it works and it's good. But I just I kind of wanted I kind of was interested in, in having a little bit more about Turpin and all that stuff. Yeah. A little bit more Joanna and uh, Anthony would help too. Cause it just makes him seem like a crazy infatuated loser, which he kind of <laughs> is even in the play. He kind of is, but like you don't get like any real scenes of them together or knowing each other. Mm-hmm. So doing just a little bit more, I think would have helped for the film as well. Did you read about uh, how Helena Bonham Carter trained for the role? Uh, that she had to listen. She listened to music while she was baking pies and learned how to bake. Well, she had to learn. She had to take vocal lessons uh, for the role, but she rehearsed the songs while baking because mm-hmm. uh, she did also studied baking to 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 cut. She says while baking to perfect the quick syncopated. Or I don't know if I said that right. Rhythm of music. So like just kind of like just to, probably just to match the scene. Right. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. You know, just kind of. You don't think of it. You don't think of how much. Sometimes people just don't think of how much work goes into a, a scene or a character, which is so. A lot of this movie had a lot of those kind of notes. Oh, for which, sure. It, yeah, she does uh, a which great I, job. She does. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem with anybody in this film. No, 
like everybody like the the whole running joke with Helena Bonham Carter and, and Johnny Depp is like like that Rick the Ricky Gervais show with uh where they step into his op- uh, Johnny Depp's office he tries to offer oh, the job uh, extras yeah I'm doing a movie can you guess the director uh Tim Burton yeah well guess who my leading lady is uh just off the top of my head Helena Bonham Carter how did you guess that <laughs> <laughs> so like. When you think about that, it is kind of like this running joke, but when you, like, hey, she put in, like, what was it, 12 or more audition tapes to Soundheim, because Soundheim had to yes. sign off on everybody. Uh, but when she plays the role, like, I'm not, she's probably, like, on par with Lans, uh, Angela Lansbury, R.I.P. Um, but she does, like, I, her Mrs. Lovett is really, really good and filled with this interesting energy and this just offness that I really enjoy. She's not, she doesn't play it as particularly evil as I, I've seen it done. She plays it more just like matter of fact, like I need meat and there's some meat. Well, that's the thing too. She's an opportunist, but, but you know, she's just got uh, creditors and she's got to pay bills and, and it's, you know, it's yeah, that corner shop can't be cheap. <laughs> no, but, but like it's, you know, it's a time in England when, there's so much disparity between, you know, the rich and the poor. And, and, you know, she's just, she's somebody who like, she knows it's bad, but you know, she just, she's taking advantage of an opportunity yep, so that she can better, better her, her own position in life. And then, then she kind of falls in love with Sweeney Todd. And I guess, I guess we're supposed to believe that. And Well, I get that. She always had a, th- thing for Sweeney Todd. Yeah. That, but you, Benjamin Barker, Benjamin Barker, but yeah, you don't, um, you never kind of see her in the in the flashbacks kind of thing, so you don't really get that. But again, who cares? Yeah, it's still it's yeah. Her death is the worst death of all of them. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. It's not quick. <laughs> no, it's terrible. Uh, as uh, Sweeney Todd throws her into the furnace, and we watch her burn up, burn alive. Yep. Thankfully, he shuts the door. Uh, but uh, it takes a few <laughs> seconds for him to do that. Yeah. Uh. So, but she, but she's not a good. Technically, she's not a good person. No, so she does. She, she has to go. Right. Yeah. Right. And you have the kid who survives, who is a decent person, obviously. Now, Toby. did you see? Did you see the note that in the original production, it's tradition that the Tobias role that it's called he's called Tobias on stage, not Toby. Right. But is played by an adult character who is mentally challenged. Like that's yep. the character on the stage. I did not know that. I feel like a it's easy. It's easier to get a an adult to do stage work when you're performing your Broadway plays seven days a week or sure. six days a week. Uh, and it's also easier to see, especially back when this started, an adult in those kind of situations and not placing a child in those situations. Right. So I feel like maybe that's why he's made to be just a um, a mentally handicapped person as opposed to an actual child. But I think I, it works I as a child here. Yeah, no, I think it works better as the child because it raises the stake, it raises the emotion, it raises the fear and the hope that, you know, he gets out of it okay. Mm-hmm. As he slits Sweeney Todd's throat. <laughs> Which I is the, the first that, time uh, I noticed that he like, Sweeney Todd, like every other time I watch it, I just figured like, oh, he's just like lamenting. But no, Sweeney Todd knows he's right behind him about to slit his throat. Oh yeah, he raises his head up. He raises his head so that Toby can can finish him. Right. This is because the first killed- time I really realized that. Yeah. Yeah. Although I don't know if I like that Toby does that because then that instantly makes Toby somebody who I don't know. He's now a great character. You he's know, got what I mean? justice he's- in an unjust world where even the judges hang. But what's gonna happen to him? He's going to have to work back in the factory, I guess. I guess, yeah. It's not a good or life for Toby. Maybe Toby becomes a barber as well. Toby's Meat Pies? Toby's Meat Pies. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sequel. You find out Toby's taking on uh, Mrs. Lovett's when he talks to business. <laughs> Mr. Toby's Meat Pies. <laughs> Kick the old woman out. <laughs> Did you feel that the, the movie just ended? Like it just ends? Yeah. I I originally liked that ending. And then when I ended up watching the Broadway plays, I really liked the reprise. I really liked the opening. 
I like that song and I like it with the lyrics and I think it's really cool and dark and everybody sings it and he's become this legend. You don't really get that with this film that he's, you know, it's called Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of fleet street, but that would, that's like a title that somebody bequeathed onto him. So clearly he's a legend, but you don't see him become a legend in this film. So I, I would have at least like maybe the reprise happens, but Maybe you just thought it would be too weird to put the reprise if you don't have the opening. I get it. I just, it just kind of just ends. I'm like, oh, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> After he kills his wife. Yeah, real quick, don't, too. Don't I know you? She said. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. What? Well, it kills his wife. When I saw that, oh, I was yeah. the first. When that happened, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Even yeah, though I should have, but of course you should have. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, "Oh, here we go." <laughs> <laughs> Did you realize she was his wife? Oh yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. You kind of. I mean, you don't have a character for no reason there. I mean, that's got to be a reason. There's always for a it. purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And especially, uh, I find that uh, productions and plays and. Uh, always have that kind of that twist, but always have that kind of character style of character. In it and turns out to be somebody yeah, else. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of wasn't, it wasn't a surprise. Did you now we talked about how people were hesitant or down on Johnny Depp in this because of his voice, but Russell Crowe was going to be in this with Sam Mendes oh, directing. So. Talk so about like that what, voice. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying like why, like what, that's what you were going to get if Sam Mendes and Russell Crowe moves forward with this. And Mendes was actually, he brought John Logan on initially to write the script. Mm-hmm. And then when Burton came on, they rewrote it together. He, him and Logan worked together, but Mendes went on to, so Sam Mendes left to direct Jarhead mm, for whatever okay. reason. So he dropped out. And then Burton, the only reason Burton was able to step in was because his Ripley's Believe It or Not movie fell apart. It was too expensive. And so I forgot that, he was going to do that movie. Yeah. So that movie fell apart. And then he sided on into Sweeney Todd. So he made out. Wasn't Ripley's Believe It or Not was going to be with Jim Carrey? Maybe. Why do I think that? It could have been. I just remember it being a big deal because it was like right after Big Fish and I was like, he's doing a Ripley's Believe It or Not movie. This is going to be the one that gets him the Oscar. And then <laughs> nothing happened. I like Big Fish quite a bit. That's good. Mm-hmm. This is one of only uh, three Tim Burton films not to be scored by Danny Elfman. Well, I mean, how how's he going to score it? I mean, in what way is he going to score this That's film? That's probably why Danny Elfman, I'm sure he asked and Danny Elfman was like, nah, it's not. Yeah, what am I going to do? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not creating any music for this. Yeah. Right, right. There's nothing for me in this movie. Now, do you know the history of the characters we need to Because I do not. I do. I had actually looked it up before uh, or the other day. Well, hit me with it. Let's go. Up again. Oh, so come on. You're not even ready. I don't have it in my movie notes because it's not really a movie note. So basically, he was created in the story, The String, a Penny Dreadful serial, The String of Pearls. And it was from 1946 to 1947. So it was told 19, in little bits. 19 or 18? 1846, I'm sorry, to 1847. And it became this big legend about a, a crazy murderer in Fleet Street. Sweeney Todd murdered his customers with the straight razor. And he's got that chair that leads them in backwards and breaks their neck. Like all that was very specific and actually part of the very original story. And mm-hmm. Mrs. Lovett was there, his partner in crime, who baked him into pies. And that's exactly how it was told. And it was told so many times in so many different places uh, that was actually turned into a novel. Uh, Charles Dickens wrote a little bit about him, like hinted at him because he started really pervade a lot of London culture and a lot of books like the first compilation book, certain small plays and uh, like tiny one offs were acted in the streets and stuff after that. And people started to put it at the beginning that it's based on a real story. And so people started to think Sweeney Todd was a real story. And it was a true story, but there's no evidence that it was ever at all really true. Hmm. Uh, but it started to like France picked it up. America picked it up uh, actually in a plagiarized version of this story called Sweeney Todd, the ruffian or the barber. Um, but some people think that it might have come from places in the Middle East 
uh, certain cities where there was possibly a barber that did the same thing. Uh, a Swedish traveler had heard stories in the 17th century uh, about all this. So there's been a legend of a killer barber for a while, and it's not hard to see why. Because <laughs> you're sitting in a seat and trusting your life to this guy with a straight razor who, you know, in a time when people were always not so nice, it's a pretty dangerous proposition. Uh, so that's kind of how oh, it yeah. took off. And then in, it was like a play in the twenties was the first time it was on Broadway as a play. And then it was in 1970, I want to say three. It was a, that's when, let me see. I want to get this part right. Cause it's newer. Yes. In 1973, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of fleet street, was created by Christopher Bond, the British playwright. And in that, it wasn't a musical. And he gave him the story of being Benjamin Barker, wrongfully uh, convicted of a crime, who after 15 years in Australia, came back to find out that his wife, Joanna, was raped and murdered by the judge, or raped and then died later. And then his uh, daughter was being kept by the judge as his ward, who was going to become his wife, which is really gross, oh, yeah. uh, by the way. I think I'll take you as my wife. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't I your daughter like five seconds ago? No, no. Mm. Uh, oh, she recoiled when I offered my hand in marriage. I no love shit. That. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> she did. Uh, so that was 1973. And then just six years later, the demon Barbara Fleet Street, a musical thriller was created by Stephen Sondheim with the same story. So that's when that started to take off first in Broadway in 1979 and then London's West End in 1980 where it won all those awards and stuff like that. Your end of the lesson. That's my end of it. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's an intriguing story. So uh, it's, it's interesting. Kind of like took on its own, kind of took on its own. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Legend. Life of its own. It took, yeah. it took, yeah, the, the, the oh. character took on a life of its own. It's almost like if we found out that Jack the Ripper was like all made up. No, it's just from the story. It never actually happened. We know who it was. Yeah. <laughs> but now people are, people pretty much know it's not true, but I think that's what happens yeah. when you keep telling everybody, oh, this is a true story. It's based Sweeney on Sweeney Todd story. or Jack the Ripper? Sweeney, Sweeney Todd. Obviously, Jack the Ripper was real, but. Yeah, it's Bilbo Baggins eating that heart. I'm talking about, I'm talking about From Hell. I'm from Hell, the, the episode we did in season yes. nine? <laughs> Cooking that, let's cook that heart in the tea kettle. Boop, boop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did uh did you see the note how they made a mechanical razor for Johnny Depp because it was too he quick? Open it fast, yeah. Well, I would want that too, though. I would want to cut my hand. So there's a button on the razor, so when Depp pulls it, pulls it out really fast, it just opens up. So it's like, well, where's that prop now? <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't a real razor. I'm sure yeah, none I, of them were real. <laughs> yeah, like cut cut his hands. But I, I get that as well. Like. I'm not going to be able to open this fast. I'm going to have to do a hundred thousand takes. I don't want to have to worry about my, you know, especially a musical. I don't have to worry about my blocking, mm -hmm. singing the song, right? Which I'm probably ad libbing as a recording of myself goes on. And then worry about getting this damn blade open. Go, God damn it. No, they were singing on set. So oh, the note they? I had, yes. I the note I had like was that, that uh, Tim Burton was talking about how every day on set, there was so much energy because they were all singing on the set while they, while they were doing this just because it, because he was talking about like, you can't fake breath if he's going to mimic it. True, like, you yeah. know, if you're taking your breath, it would just look bad. So they all just, they were singing. He's like, it was, he, it was, he talked about how it was really one of the most rewarding experiences of his life directing wise. I, I like, I like that when they do that because you're right. You can't fake, you know, breath, you can't fake singing and there's a certain energy and, and truth to what you're singing. Mm -hmm. It's like Lay Miz isn't a great movie. It's like not perfect. But like Anne Hathaway's uh song when she's like crying and stuff when she's singing her her song is is great because she's actually singing it and in the moment she felt all those emotions. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't planned that she was going to break down quite as much as she did, but it just happened. Uh oh, so actors. I, <laughs> I think it's it's better when you actually sing on on stage and also like I said before, you have less to worry about. I think it's oh, yeah. worse to try to ad lib. It's easier to just sing the damn song. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you and you're if you're a performer, I don't think you would have a problem with that. 
And do you really, I mean, like, do you really need 45 takes to do that? You shouldn't. So, you know, you should be able to nail it within a few, five or six, maybe. Yeah, you should, you should have already rehearsed as well. It's a musical. Oh, of course. You should know of course, you should treat it like, yeah. you should treat each big scene like a stage production. Like, that mm-hmm. should be, I think that just makes it easier, too, in terms of shooting and editing and stuff like that. Agreed. I agree, Butler. Well, why are we saying it's forgotten, then? Uh... I feel like this was made in the middle of his Pirates of the Caribbean. Caribbean. Well, this did well. It did well overseas. Mm. It was swallowed up by the other movies that came out in Christmas time. I, I don't know why. I feel like this Christmas was a good release for this. It's a musical. It's cold. It's London. Maybe I would say Thanksgiving, but that would have been that's usually even tougher. There's always a huge movie for Thanksgiving. That's a family movie that everyone has to rush to. So maybe it would do better February or something like that or October, but I don't, I don't see this as a Halloween movie. I know in the last episode you had mentioned that, you know, this should have been forgotten horror, but I I think that although there is blood and stuff, I think this is kind of just a a musical, uh, like a, like a tragedy, a tragedy. And (laughs) (laughs) I can't talk. Nope. I always mix up when I say tragedy. I don't Sorry. know why. Um, but, you're, this is Alexia. <laughs> but I think maybe uh, it just didn't resonate with people that year or pe- it was in the height of his pirates and people didn't want to see him as anything but uh, Jack Sparrow or people saw it as him doing another character shtick or Americans hate musicals. Like dudes, <laughs> you're like, you're not going to grab your boyfriend and take him to a musical, even though he's slicing throats and killing a ton of people. Well, I mean, we, we, I know that we both like the songs, but to be fair, there's not, there's not a song from this movie that transcends the film where people always sing and remember, do you know what I mean? It's an odd kind of musical. The music isn't, I guess pretty women is like the most musical type song, but again, he's singing it while he's about to murder someone. All Mm -hmm. the other songs are very strange. Like I love, um, What's the name of the song? It's, it's I Got Your Bleeders. But he breaks down and says lines during it and then picks up a different song in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And it's very abrupt and very almost disjointed, just like Sweeney is. Mm-hmm. And it's a song about, you know, I'm going to chop people up and put them into meat pies and stuff as well. But like, they're delicious. Like a little priest, <laughs> which is right. a great song. Oh, I love that. I love that song. Yeah. Well. Well, two things. One, so you talked about Thanksgiving if this came out Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving that year is was Enchanted. And Enchanted oh, is obviously murdered. a musical. Right. Yeah. But it's a musical. So you're not going to have two musicals come out at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. And to that point about a, a song that transcends the movie, Enchanted's got that big song, How Do You Know? That don't everyone... You, don't you do it, man. <laughs> I'm not going to, but you know what I mean. I say it and you already know the song. It's and you already know played most, in the back of my head now. Right, yeah. right. So it, to, to, to your point, Sweeney Todd, you don't have that. Even though those songs are great, even though we both love them, you don't really have those songs that people are just going to start, oh, I remember that song. And they just start singing them. So uh, I've, had, uh, I've had a couple of those songs stuck in my head for the last day. Uh, yeah, but you listen to it constantly. <laughs> true, I'm, yeah. ta- I'm talking about the casual person, audiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, plus it's not Disney. Like you said, it's darker. It's a horror movie. It's not a princess film. It's not like anything like that. So there's that too. Yeah. So um, I guess maybe it's more forgotten for a casual audience goer or people who are not, not something they would go to, like you said. Yeah. But I think that like being the, said, go the back. Casual person go probably back knows it. about it, mm-hmm. but yeah, probably never seen it. I don't even know if Jody saw it. Really? I can't even. I just, at some point, she stopped seeing films. So <laughs> <laughs> now it's like, you know. Elise loves this film. She watched a little bit, but obviously fell asleep because she can't stay up for right. more than 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I actually had it on and uh, Penelope came down. And I was like, oh, I don't turn this off. I'm watching this. I'm like, I'm watching this. It's rated R. And she's like, <laughs> She's like, oh, okay. I'm like, and then there's a couple of throat cut scenes. And she's like, oh, I goes, are you scared? Are you scared? And I'll turn it off. I just turned it off. I'm like, forget it. I don't want it. She's like, it just, it just took me by surprise. I, go, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Like, oh, I she don't was want. scared by the throat cutting? Uh, it just like, we watch Stranger Things. 
So there was stuff in there that kind of was just like, she keeps saying like it takes her by surprise. I think it just grosses her out, that kind of stuff. So I didn't want to, because there was more to come in the Sweeney Todd. I was trying to finish it up. Right. Because I fall asleep at night. I'm just like, so of course, nobody comes downstairs for a half hour. Of course, as soon as I put on the movie, because I want to watch it. Boom, 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 boom. Everyone comes downstairs. I'm like, God damn it. So, but I, so I got to the part where I was just like, whatever, fine. Just watch it. But then, you know, that failed. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So I hope people go back to it. I hope people will check it out and definitely on HBO max. There you go. Easy free. If you, oh, if you actually pay for HBO, but you know what else is free Butler? We are, we're free. Oh, yeah. That's right. Where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and video content we have uh, for you guys to check out there. And then you're listening to us right now. Drop a like, rate, subscribe, review. All that stuff helps the podcast. And check us out on Forgotten Cinemas The Lobby. Let us know uh, what you think of Sweeney Todd or any other kind of darker musicals that you might like that aren't Rocky Horror Picture Show because everyone's just going to say Rocky Horror. That's more cult. That's not scary. It's cult classic. But it's darker. I guess. And I feel like yeah. it's just the easy one to go. Rocky Horror. Mm. I want to know another dark musical that's not Rocky Horror. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There's Repo, the genetic rock opera, which oh, also stop. starred Anthony Head. Stop. Um, but, oh, it's bad. I didn't say it was good. I'm just saying it's another uh, one. I think, yeah. I can't think of anything. Interesting. All right. And join us next week as we're going to 1990 to see a, a movie that I don't think Butler ever heard of. State of Grace. I um, I might not have heard it. The title really? is like, I've heard the title State of Grace, but that I don't mm-hmm. know if that's because of the movie or not. Yeah, I haven't seen this in a while, so I'm curious if I'm going to like it again. But I remember when I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, I like this film. So uh, that's right. That's next week's State of Grace. Like the what? what? I said interesting. Yeah. So hopefully we can find it. Yeah, it's 1990, uh, so I don't know. Yep. That'll be next week. Until then, everyone, have a great week. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.